You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Most of us are old enough to remember uh, when the Internet first sort of came along. Uh, And soon after that, it was about maybe 2003, Alan Rolski was an entrepreneur, and he earned the nickname the Spam King. And so if any of you have ever checked your email and you get spam, you know what I'm referring to. Uh, Alan Ransky figured out a way that he could send out bulk emails in the millions to promote his various businesses. Well, you can imagine that there were many people just like today who don't appreciate spam. Uh, And so what happened was a group of individuals who are critics of Alan Ransky's mailings Uh, found out his physical address, and they posted it on the internet, and they encouraged people to sign Alan Ransky up for every possible junk mail that is possible. Well, at the height of their revenge on Alan Ransky, he was receiving hundreds of pounds of junk email every day being delivered to his home. And there's something about that story that I I think is appealing to all of us. We kind of like that thought of someone getting what they deserve. You know, someone who does something and then somehow there's retribution that they receive. But as we come to this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ now says, as followers of Christ, we're to be committed to giving back, not getting back. And that's what we're going to look at today. What what does that mean? And so you notice here in in this passage, Jesus confronts immediately the desire for retaliation and revenge. I mean, this is something that is is a part of our sinful nature, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, How many of you have ever been driving and you're doing the speed limit and someone gets right on your tail on 89 and you have to move over, and they go flying by you, and you haven't thought, oh, I hope there's a police car up ahead. 
you know, we we, we kind of want that thought of some kind of retaliation, payback. Well, Jesus immediately confronts that desire in verse 38, and he cites two rabbinic teachings that had become the, the common belief system in Second Temple Judaism. And so you notice the first one that he mentions here, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So he appeals to this common mindset and acceptance among not just the Jewish people, but, but the rabbis who taught them that this is what God wants you to do. Practice this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And in fact, this is repeated in three specific places uh, in the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Old Testament. So much so that in Exodus, when it's repeated, it expands on that and says things like an eye for an eye, a hand for a hand, a tooth for a tooth, a wound for a wound. And so you can partly start to see that as the Roman Empire expanded later on, they referred to this principle as the lex talanus. In other words, the law of equivalent retaliation. And so the Roman Empire even said, this is, this is a, a principle we should live by, uh, an equal retaliation for what is done for us. Uh, some of you may remember years ago, I worked at Canaan Elementary School, and I can still remember the time that I was working there and there was a little skirmish on the playground. Uh, don't worry, Tim, this didn't involve you. Uh, there was a little skirmish on the playground and I had to meet with Mr. Janice, the principal. And as he was talking to me, uh, he kind of felt, well, you know, one kid started it, one kid responded. And, and so Mr. Janice said to me, well, isn't that what the Bible says? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I had to stop and explain to him, well, that's not necessarily what the Bible was talking about when it speaks of this law, which is exactly what Christ is going to say soon, where he says, look, here is this principle. It is in the Old Testament, but you have completely misinterpreted and misapplied it. But that's the first common law and understanding that Jesus appeals to when he realizes there is this desire in all of us for retaliation and revenge. But if you go down to verse 43, there's a second principle that Jesus is going to bring up here that relates to a desire for retaliation and revenge. Verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you were to try to look through the Old Testament to find this particular statement, it's not there. Because Moses never said this and related that it was from God. The closest you can find to this is probably an allusion to Leviticus um, 1918, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. That was a command given by God. And in fact, God did command that if you came upon your enemy and your enemy had a need, you were obligated to meet that need. So what you actually have developing here in this 
second statement where Jesus says, you have heard, you know, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. This was a complete misinterpretation and addition by the rabbis. In other words, they took that statement, love your neighbor, and then assumed that that meant you should have the opposite response to your enemies. But they presented it as if it was a teaching of God, when in fact it was merely a teaching of man. And so where did that get this present generation that Jesus is speaking to? With, with thinking there is this equivalent retaliation that we are permitted to do, encouraged to do, and wrongfully, they thought, actually commanded and endorsed by God. Well, it created a culture of personal vengeance and bitterness. And therefore, we're going to see Jesus now counters that by clarifying and explaining the truth about vengeance and retaliation. So as we've seen, there's been a series of a total of six antitheses presented since verse 21, where it says, you have heard this, but I tell you this. So now we're in the final last two, dealing with this subject of retaliation and revenge. So how does Jesus respond? Well, he responds by clarifying what the law actually does say. And so you see this in verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, the word resist there means do not be hostile or bitter or, or desire injury upon the one who has injured or hurt you. Now, immediately, we know that strikes against our sinful human nature. We, we, are, we, we want to strike back on those who have hurt us. Jesus is saying, if you are my disciple, do not resist the one who does evil. And then he will explain by his response, what did Moses mean then when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Because as I shared, according to Mr. Janice, his understanding was, this means someone does this to you, you have the right to respond back and do the same thing to them. And that is what a lot of people today often think this command was referring to. So to clarify this, Jesus reminds us, in a sense, of what was the context of this? Because the rabbinic leaders took this out of context. If you go back and look at the places where this is found, you discover the context was this was given to the courts. In other words, this was given not to individuals about personal insults and hurts. It was given to the legal system of Israel with the intent, here's a guiding principle of judgment the court should function on. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, a wound for a wound. In other words, the design of this commandment was the exact same design 
for the certificate of divorce that was mentioned previously, in that it was to control excesses and to limit personal vengeance. So whereas the Jewish culture and many today take this to seem to be a permission to pursue personal vengeance on hurt that's been done to you, this was never intended to be given to people to just exercise. It was given to the courts. And the intent of it was to say the punishment should fit the crime. That the punishment should not be greater than what the crime was, and it should not be less than what the crime was. It should perfectly fit the crime. So it has a clear judicial purpose. What Jesus is dealing with here in teaching his disciples is, how should you respond to personal attacks, personal insults, personal slander and rebuke? How, how are we to respond to that as believers? Then look at verse 44, where Jesus, again, clarifies this misunderstanding and misquoting of something that was never even in scripture. He says in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So notice Jesus is saying, yes, the Old Testament did say, love your neighbors. But we already know among that present Jewish culture, they debated who your neighbor is. This was why Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was to remind them your neighbor was not just your fellow Israelite. And that's how they interpreted this. Well, love your neighbor is, of course, love a fellow Israelite. But Jesus explained your neighbor is anyone who you come in contact with. But then Jesus says to this, the command is, yes, love your neighbor. It was never to hate your enemy. But as Jesus will go on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we have two verbs that are important. Love, uh, regard your enemy with affection uh, and be concerned for their well-being. It's not negating what they did was wrong, but our response should never be in like, because that just reveals a sin-driven response, not a changed heart response. And then adds to that, pray for them. Uh, intercede on their behalf. Uh, petitionary prayers. Not, not just praying, Lord, judge them, praying for their salvation, praying for them to sense conviction, uh, praying for them to come to know Jesus Christ. And so Jesus clarifies now their complete misunderstanding and, in fact, twisting of what the word of God actually does say and does not say. But Jesus goes even further than that. He doesn't just counter and reply. We're going to see that Jesus will now 
give us illustrations? In other words, what should it look like to be giving back instead of getting back when we are personally attacked, when personally we feel someone has offended us or hurt our feelings? And so if you look closely at verses 39 through 42, you see some illustrations that in one sense are time bound, but in the second sense present timeless principles. Uh, and so notice the, the first illustration there, he says in verse 39, uh, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this seems to be an indication in particular in a first century culture, uh, an indication of, of shame or insult. And that could be conveyed by a literal slap the back of someone's hand, slapping you across the face. But we can look at that and say, well, how likely is that going to happen today in our culture? Um, we, we don't necessarily convey insult that way, but we can with gossip, with slander. So think of how do you respond as a Christian when someone has said things about you that are not accurate, that are not true, whether they've been another Christian or, or maybe someone in the workplace, someone in the community, Jesus is saying, that's not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But now you look at this, how do you respond? And what he says here is, is really turn the other cheek. Display instead love and compassion for them, not, not retaliation. And so we see, although the illustration is very present to the disciples, what they have seen in their culture. We know there are many examples we can think of how people insult each other, how people get on the internet and post things about other people uh, that are inaccurate, that are lies, that are hurtful. Well, do we then just hump, hop on Facebook or the internet and post something opposite? Well, that's that would be an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You know, we're just going to counter with something else. Jesus is saying here, turn the other cheek. And we, and we need to look at this in the context of this is dealing with personal insults and attacks. So when Jesus was before Pilate and, and, and we know that he was kind of slapped, we don't necessarily need to think that Jesus simply turned and said, well, here, get this cheek as well. You know, that, that was a legal proceeding. It was wrong, but Jesus was not saying, you know, necessarily literally let people walk all over you if they personally insult you. But do not respond in kind. The second illustration he mentions here is related to someone, in a sense, taking advantage of you in a very obvious way. He goes on and says there, uh, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In other words, responding here in, in love, but be willing to sacrifice. Uh, the two terms here referred to an inner and an outer garment. So your tunic was the inner garment. And, and sometimes that could be left with someone as a pledge. 
because everyone had one. You might leave that with someone. The cloak is the outer garment. And the outer garment was more important uh, because often people would sleep in their outer garment. It would be like a blanket. It was necessary for your protection. And in fact, according to Mosaic law, you could hold someone's outer garment cloak as a pledge, but you needed to return it by sunset. So you have an example here where Jesus is not contradicting the law, but he's saying, you know what, if, if, if someone is seeking to impinge on your rights, personal rights, are you willing to sacrifice those for the sake of being righteous and holy? And I think you could make somewhat of a parallel here, as we've seen in our day and age, just, just some of the sad controversy there is among Christians over face coverings. You know, are, are we willing to sacrifice our personal rights for the sake of the greater testimony of Jesus Christ and his righteousness? So now we see an illustration that we might say, well, no one's going to come after my coat, my shirt. But, but we could kind of say in a paraphrase way, are you willing to give the shirt off your back for the testimony of Jesus Christ rather than I have my rights, and if you don't like that, that's your problem. That, that's the mantra or motto of our culture. But Jesus is saying that's not what marks a disciple. Then he moves to a third illustration in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So this clearly is a reference to um, this practice of commandeering of citizens, which was something that happened in the Roman Empire. Uh, you can trace it all the way back to the Persian Empire did this, uh, where with a strong military presence, a, a soldier could come upon a citizen and say to them, you need to carry this for me one mile. And there was a distance that was permittable to do. And so in that present reality, Jesus is saying, if, if someone comes upon you and requests this, don't do just what is expected. Do more than what is expected. And that principle relates to how do we respond to people who have hurt us? Whether they've hurt us verbally, we feel they've committed some offense, they haven't give us, given us maybe the love we would expect, the gratitude, whatever it is. How, how do we respond to that? Well, this is saying, don't just respond and not retaliate. Go above and beyond that in Christ. And then you have the final illustration in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, the word there, beg or asks, is, is a very strong word. It means one who is, is literally in need. So there, there's principles here to guide us about wise use of our finances, um, not giving to someone who, again, is just going to be enabled by a gift. Uh, so in other words, if, you know, there's someone is saying they need money, but they won't accept anything but cash, 
and they're not working and they're able to work, you know, just giving them something is perpetuating a sinful pattern. But this is referring to if, if you have someone who you come across has a genuine need and you do have some kind of resources to meet that need, then you should do everything possible to do that. And so we can see that that transcends far beyond just a cultural thing that Jesus is addressing. But there are needs all around us. And if we do have the means to address that and we have the discernment to, to see what that need is and what the situation is, Jesus is saying, this is a characteristic of my disciples. And this is something Paul goes over. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 12, Paul will echo this teaching to the church in Rome. Uh, and so in Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at verses 9 through 21. And I'll just read through this. You may see a, a heading in your Bibles that says something like marks or characteristics of a true Christian. Uh, and so you're going to hear in Paul's teaching a repeating of what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount here, but just in different phrasing. It begins at verse 9. Uh, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that analogy where he speaks of burning coals may be a reference to a, a passage in Proverbs. Uh, it's somewhat debated exactly what does that mean. Uh, some have said that it may refer to our acts of kindness and love in response to their hurtful words and actions will be a, a convicting presence upon them uh, and hopefully will lead to their salvation. A uh, second possibility could be uh, that it, again, will be further justification of their judgment before God, because here they saw the truth of the gospel being lived out in you and in me, but they failed to respond to that. Either way, it is very clear. Paul is saying the Christian disciple has been called 
to focus on giving back, not getting back. But Jesus concludes his instruction related to these two teachings in verse 33 and 43. Um, if you turn to Matthew 5 again, but in verses 44 through 48, Jesus gives us four reasons why we should be focused on giving back, not getting back. And, and these should be an encouragement to us as, as well as a motivation. Because we, we've already established the fact this is not the natural response we would have. We, we strike back when we're hurt. Well, here now as Christians, we're being told to, to do the opposite. Uh, and so let me go through the, the four reasons that are mentioned there. And you see this uh, beginning at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In other words, here's the first reason. In Christ, you are sons of God. And, and that word sons is the more accurate translation rather than children, because that particular word is emphasizing resemblance. Uh, we're, we're displaying by this response that we, we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. But then he quickly follows in verse 45, and speaking of God, he said he makes his son rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, you are to reflect the character of your heavenly father in your actions. So just like God is very gracious and through providence, when it rains, it rains on everyone, not just the believer's garden or yard, uh, that he's saying we are to reflect that impartiality as we respond to people around us. Because that is a characteristic that our father has to perfection. And we are to imitate that. And we can because it is Christ who lives in us. So you are sons of your father in heaven. You are to reflect the character of your father in heaven. And then in verse 46, he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And here, Jesus Christ continues to raise the bar of discipleship and says, you are to do better than the world. In other words, in our world, people love those who they get along with. They love those who are nice to them. Um, and he brings up two classes that would, would be despised by a Jewish audience, tax collectors, and Gentiles. It kind of says, if you think that is the righteousness of God, just that like tax collectors and Gentiles, you are nice to other tax collectors and you are nice to other Gentiles, you're not surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. In other words, when we look at this principle, we're saying, as Christians, we are to do much better than the world. 
And then he adds to that uh, in verse 48, as a, a final conclusion, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And, and that word perfect there should not be thought of as sinless, but as mature. That, that we're growing in maturity, like our, our congregational verse says, that we would be fully mature, that we would be increasingly giving back instead of getting back on those who have hurt us, offended us, say unjust things about us, or maybe outrightly persecute us. And it doesn't take long for us to, to know where is the example for all of this in Jesus Christ. Let me read for you the words of 1 Peter 2 in closing. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 through 23. Peter is writing and he's writing to believers who are being persecuted uh, and will only get worse. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23, excuse me, 21 through 23, Peter says these words, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And, and that word example there is, is a word that means uh, to, to follow a pattern, but it, but it comes out of a, a handwriting lesson uh, where, where letters, as some of us probably can remember back in grade school, uh, you would have letters that would have sort of dots or lines, and you had to connect them and trace over them. Well, Jesus Christ is that example that we are to continually outline and trace our lives and our responses around. So listening to the Sermon on the Mount, listening to what Paul says, Peter says, uh, it leaves us to ask ourselves, do, do we love and pray for others who have hurt us? You know, is, is that what we're doing? Because we should be. You know, do you love and pray for those who have hurt you? Um, do you give back to them instead of desiring and wanting to get back at them? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have made clear to all of us not only how we should act uh, towards those who have hurt us, but why we should and how that is even possible. Uh, forgive us for sometimes thinking just because we don't strike back uh, that we've done enough. That isn't enough because we are to respond in love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.